Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles now, and you can turn in them to the book of 1 Peter and chapter number 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you might grab one from under the chair in front of you, and you can turn in that Bible in the back portion to page 180, and you would be at 1 Peter chapter 1. Trouble. You know, it's something that we all bump into several times a week. Sometimes we come face to face with trouble with a little t, and sometimes we come face to face with trouble with a capital T. And I know many of us think, well, I have problems, and if you think you've had a string of problems, consider the problems of Brian Hives. These are some things that happened to him one day in July. When his apartment in Provo, Utah became flooded from a broken pipe in the apartment above his, the manager told him to go out and rent a water vacuum. That's when he discovered that his car had a flat tire. He changed the tire and went inside again to phone a friend for help. But the electric shock he got from the phone so startled him that he inadvertently ripped the phone off the wall. Before he could leave his apartment a second time, a neighbor had to kick his door down because by now the water damage had jammed the door tight. While all this was going on, someone stole Heise's car. But it was almost out of gas, so he found it just a few blocks away. But then he had to push it by himself to a gas station where he could fill up the tank. That evening, he attended a military ceremony at the university that he was attending, and he injured himself severely when he somehow sat on his bayonet, which he had tossed on the front seat of his car. Doctors were able to stitch up his wound, but no one was able to resuscitate four of his canaries who were crushed to death from the wet falling plaster in his apartment. After arriving home and slipping on the wet carpet where he badly injured his tailbone, Brian said he began to wonder if, and we're quoting now, God wanted me dead, but he just kept missing. (laughs) Yeah. No doubt Brian would say that is trouble with a capital T. Do you know that there are three kinds of people in the world? One type of person in the world are those who are in the midst of trouble. The other type of person in the world are those who have just come out of trouble. And the third type of person are those who are going to soon be facing trouble in their life. And for many of us today, trouble is just around the corner. But for some of us, right now, this very day, We're facing trouble with a capital T. Just knowing a group of people, we know these things are true. Some of us have received some serious medical diagnosis recently, or a loved one has. Maybe your parents or even a spouse has had a heart attack or had very significant surgery. Maybe... 
you have lost your job or you're facing some kind of a serious financial crisis. Maybe you're involved in a relationship crisis. Maybe it's marital struggles or maybe it's a husband who's having a midlife crisis or a rebellious child. You know, we want to be honest about it. At times when trouble weighs into our life, life can feel like a four-letter word. Sometimes I think life is reflected by a song that comes out of the musical The Music Man. Here's part of the lyrics. Oh, yes, we got lots and lots of trouble. Trouble, oh, we got trouble. Right here in River City, trouble with a capital T. You know, I was uh, just thinking this week, and if you haven't had a chance to maybe drive around to the back, you ought to look because we've got some of our steel going up here in our, our new facility. And I was, I was thinking about how we did some construction on this facility when we first got here. And one of the things we had in this building were a number of wood studs, because this had actually been for a little while an animation studio in this facility. And what we did is we took those those wood studs and we piled them in what is today the gym. And I'll never forget the day I got a phone call at 7 o'clock in the morning and it said, your building is on fire. And I was greatly alarmed by that because at that time, this floor in which the worship center sits only went to that wall. And there was a one-story drop-off with no fence or anything there. And I was concerned about the firemen who would come into a building they didn't know and someone could walk right off of that edge. And so I drove over here as fast as I could. And when I got here, I uh, noticed the fire engines in the front and the, and the fire crew there, and I warned them about that. I said, whatever you do, don't go in here uh, and, and not be aware that there's a one-story drop. What I didn't know is that there was another fire engine and a fire company in the back and they had gone in downstairs and had worked their way with all the smoke and everything up through the stairs. And there was a fireman crawling right along this floor that you see right here. And he went over the edge. You could even see his boot marks there. And he fell and he fractured his back on the lower level. And he managed to, to stagger out. Now what had really happened is we found out later is that the previous night some people had broken into the building and they decided to set fire to this stack of wood that was over in this area where the gym is today. In fact, the heat was so intense from that fire that the concrete floor underneath it exploded. I mean, it just exploded. And we had smoke damage throughout the building. And for a smaller church family, that was trouble with a capital T. I, I've titled the message we have today from First Peter a little bit differently. I've titled the message, Trouble with a Capital G, and that stands for God. Because as His people, as we face trouble, it's trouble with a capital G. And here's what I think happens to us, it happens to me, is that too often we view trouble merely from the human perspective, if you could, from the flatlands of everyday life. And what I want us to do is I want us to take a little different perspective today, and I want to view trouble from the mountaintop. I want to look at adversity from God's perspective, trouble with a capital G. And 
as we look at some principles today, for some of us, perhaps this is going to be some brand new perspective. It's something that you haven't really ever heard before. But for many of us, it is a much-needed reminder. We need to be reminded of these truths from the Word of God. In fact, as we talk about trouble and we talk about trials today, we're going to look at four divine truths from the Word of God, from 1 Peter, that relate to trials and trouble. Now, as we get ready to look at a couple of verses here out of chapter 1, I just want to remind you a little bit about the book of 1 Peter, if you've forgotten about it. It is written to those who are experiencing difficulties and trials and troubles. It's a great book to go through if you're experiencing those things in your life. In fact, it's interesting, there are 10 different Greek words in 1 Peter for troubles. It's like Peter's reaching for everything he can to describe the things we go through in life. And I always like to say Peter is a book, 1 Peter, that talks about how we can hold up and not fold up when we face adversity in our life. Now this morning, we're only going to have time just to look at two verses in chapter 1, and they are verses 6 and 7. So if you have your Bible open, I want to read verses 6 and 7 and invite you to follow along in your Bible. Verse 6 says, In this... You greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Now, there's a little bit of backdrop that we need to understand from verses 6 and 7, and that is verses 3 to 5, because in those verses, Peter talks about how our salvation has been provided. He talks about how resurrection has been promised, how our inheritance has been reserved for us in heaven, and our protection is guaranteed. And all of those things are grounds for rejoicing. When, as it says in verse 6, we are distressed by various trials. Look at that word in verse 6, the word distressed. It is a very strong word. Originally, the word meant to inflict pain. It's a word that at times in the Bible is translated grieved. So you begin to get the the feeling of this. You've been distressed. You've been grieved by trials and troubles. And maybe that's exactly the way some of us feel today. Maybe you came into this facility and this building and you were distressed. You were grieved. You're face-to-face with adversity and difficulty and trial and trouble right now. And you have that strong acknowledgement of that emotion of feeling the pain of trouble. But then you go back in the verse, notice what he says in the first part of verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. And that's a very strong word. It's a, it's a word that means to be exuberant. And you're beginning to go, wait a minute, how does this work? I'm grieved, I'm pained, I'm distressed by trouble, and I'm exuberant? I mean, 
how do you do that? And, and why would you be exuberant? And, and part of it contextually goes back to the previous verses. I mean, when our salvation has been provided and resurrection has been promised and um, our inheritance is reserved for us and our protection is guaranteed, you could see why when you face trouble that we might rejoice. Part of it has to do with the context before, but I believe part of it has to do with these four divine truths that relate to trials. Now, I, I want you to understand Peter's heart here, and I want you to understand my heart. Peter is not being trite. He is not minimizing the difficulties and the distress that the, the, writer, that the uh, readers were experiencing or that we are experiencing. What he's really saying is that even in the midst of trouble, because it's trouble with a capital G, that we can rejoice. Well, let's look at the four divine truths that are here. The first divine truth related to trials and troubles is that trials are normal. They are normal. Notice he says in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Trials are a normal thing, even for those who are believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. Turn over just a couple of pages to the right to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. And notice what Peter says later on to these believers who were undergoing all this suffering and difficulty. He says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, he's saying this is a normal part of what life brings. It brings difficulty and trials and troubles. I like this statement by Edith Schaefer. She said this, affliction must be recognized as something we all need to deal with. She says, there is no place to go for a vacation from the abnormality of the universe, from the effects of the fall upon every area of life, and from the conflict of the ages. Affliction, trial, and trouble are a normal part of the Christian life. Why does it take us by surprise then? Because there seems like there's this, I don't know, kind of a pipe dream theology that exists out there in the Christian world. And sometimes we begin to buy into that. You know, the idea, well, if, if I'm a believer... Everything's going to go well, especially if I'm a spiritual believer. Everything is going to go well. And sometimes it gets ratcheted up even to the idea that, that God guarantees every believer that they will be healthy and wealthy. And so sometimes we begin to buy into some of that thinking out there, and we are surprised when trouble with a capital T comes our way. You think about that theology that exists and floats around in the, in the church today, and then you think of the contrast of what Paul told the believing community. In Acts 
14 and verse 22, when Paul and Barnabas were traveling around the churches, this is what they said. They were traveling there, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That was an ongoing message to the early church. Trials are normal, they're normal, they're normal. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Paul said this. He said, I want no one to be disturbed or shaken by these afflictions. Now listen to this. He says, for you yourselves know that we as believers have been destined for this. And he says, for indeed, remember he's away from the Thessalonians, but he says, for indeed, when we were with you, when we were face to face with you, we kept telling you in advance. And the idea is over and over again, over and over again, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it has come to pass, as you know. Trials and trouble are normal in the Christian life. See, God has never promised to keep us from those things, but He has promised to keep us through those things. Very important to remember. So divine truth number one is that trials are normal. Divine truth number two is this, that trials are for a time. Go back to verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now, and here's the phrase, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. For a little while. And there's two ways that we can look at that phrase. In one sense, it's true from the standpoint of life. Have you noticed that that God does not leave the heat on high all of the time? If He did, we would just wilt away. But He doesn't leave it on high all of the time. Although, let's be honest, the heat is often on longer than we think it should, right? But he doesn't leave it on high all of the time. Sometimes our trouble is trouble that we experience for hours. Sometimes it's trouble we experience for days. Sometimes it's, it's trouble that we experience for months. And sometimes even, yes, it's trouble that we experience for years. For years. You know, I will always remember the era of time before we came to this church because before I came to pastor this church as a a rather young man, God took my wife Janet and I through a full one-year-long trial before we ever came here. And I can remember going through that, and I can remember experiencing that. I can remember we would go, you know, a couple of weeks, and then we would have sort of this mini crisis of, God, what are you doing? And then we would appeal to him, and then he would sort of give us a confidence. I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. And we went through that repetitively for a whole year. And I can remember saying, God, why are you doing this? And, and while he, he, he didn't audibly say anything to me, I just sort of got that Holy Spirit nudge when he said, you know what, I wanted you and your wife to be able to better empathize with people. You're going to go shepherd them. 
Because really, frankly, up to that point in my life, most of my trouble and, and trials had been a matter of days, never for a solid year. For a little while, trials are for a time. It's true from the standpoint of life, and it's certainly true from the standpoint of eternity. Keep your finger here again and turn over a couple of pages to chapter 5 and verse 10. And he says there, he talks about how, he said, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The trouble we're going through is brief. It's for a time. It's for a little while relative to the eternal glory that is ahead. There is a classic passage in the New Testament that stresses this point. I want to turn to it. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And we need to remember this when we're going through troubles and difficulties. We need to remember that trials are for a time. Now, notice 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with um, verse 16. I'm going to read through these three verses at the end, but you need, to, you need to remember, if you need to go back and look at it, that as he writes these words, he's in the midst of heavy difficulty himself. He's experiencing trouble with a capital T, and you can see the background in verses 8 to 11. Paul's not writing these words from just, you know, uh, an everyday sunny experience in his life. It's right out of the midst of trouble. And he says, because you're living in the midst of trouble with a capital T, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, it was even affecting his health, and our inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction. And you go earlier in the chapter and you see what is momentary light affliction. Is producing for us an eternal weight of glory fall beyond, beyond all comparison. It was momentary and light compared to eternal glory. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. It's getting our eyes off of the trouble for a time and remembering eternity. And in another place, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul said this. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. And boy, I'm telling you, he was going through things probably nobody here will ever go through. He said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we need to remember when we're in the midst of trouble and we're in the midst of trials that eternity is right around the bend. Trouble for a little while. Trouble for a time. So divine truth number one is that trials are normal. Divine truth number two is that trials are for a time. Divine truth number three that we see here is that trials are varied. Notice in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by, here's the two words, various trials. I think the NIV says all kinds of trials. This word various is a word that was used to describe embroidered cloth. You know how there's all those different colors and everything. 
all kinds, all types, all intensities, all durations, trouble with physical and medical issues and troubles with financial issues and trouble with spiritual issues and troubles with job issues and troubles with relationship issues, relationships with our friends, relationships with our parents, and relationships with our children. Over the years, one of my favorite comic strips was one entitled, For Better or For Worse, and I like this one particular one. There's four panels in it, and the first three have the mom, and the last one has the teen, Michael. And in the first panel, the mom is saying, are we too tough on Michael? Are we not tough enough? In the second panel, she says, do we give in too often, too seldom? Do we listen? Do we understand? In the third panel, she says, maybe I nag too much. Am I a good parent? Where are the answers? How does one know what to do? And then in the last panel, you have Michael sitting there by himself, and he's saying this. The trouble with grown-ups is they think they know everything. We can have all kinds of trouble, including trouble as parents with our kids. And what I find interesting is it says here that there's various trials, these multifaceted trials in chapter 1. If you go over to chapter 4, you'll find out that he describes God's grace as multifaceted. We go through these various multifaceted experiences, but his grace is also multifaceted, which means that his grace is sufficient for whatever assorted place we find ourselves in. Divine truth, number one, is that trials are normal. Number two, that trials are for a time. Number three, that trials are varied. And all those things are helpful, yet... (laughs) right? We have a deep drive when we're experiencing trouble to try to say, what is this experience for? What is the plan and what is the purpose? And that leads us to the fourth divine truth, and that is that trials are part of God's molding process in our life. And we see that in verse 7. It talks about, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, here's the picture that he's drawing. We have our life and we have trouble. We have the heat of the trouble. And the picture he's drawing is one of gold that is purified by fire. And the idea of the fire is this, that it heats us up through the trials and the troubles that we have, and it will purify our faith. It will strengthen us. It develops us. There's just a general truism in life that heat and pressure produces things. You can have the fiery pressure of a furnace, and it will produce hardened steel. You have the tremendous pressure of the earth's elements, and it can produce beautiful diamonds. You have the intense heat of a kill, and it will produce elegant china. And so trials and troubles and adversity will produce strength and spiritual character in our life. Trials, indeed, are part of God's molding process. And yet, how do we, how do we naturally tend to react when all that trouble and that heat comes our way? When we are consciously unaware of the fact that it's part of his molding and development process, all we want to do, right, all we want to do is hit the ejection button. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. 
I want relief. In James chapter 1, James said this, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Why would you want to do that? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its result that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. One of the friends that we have on the, on the Family Life speaker team is a guy by the name of Bob Horner. And Bob grew up in Colorado, and his family owned a metal foundry there. And here's part of what he was telling me. He says, you know, it's interesting. You can take copper and copper will tarnish, and copper has little resistance to direct weathering. And then you have nickel, and nickel will also tarnish, and it has very poor resistance to weathering. But here's what happens. When you take copper and nickel and you mix them together and you add heat to them, there's this slag, this dross, this impurity that comes to the surface. And what they will do in the foundry is they will take that slag and that impurity and they will discard it. And you know what you end up with? You end up with brass. And in the Rocky Mountains, a very important thing that they have there is what they call elevation markers. These elevation markers are always fully exposed to the weather. And guess what? They're made out of brass. You see, the product of those metals and the heat and the purification is it creates something that has a deeper beauty and that is able to weather the storms. And so it is with trials and troubles in our life. The heat that God brings builds character and it builds strength. The trouble that he allows into our life is not designed to sap our strength. Listen, it's designed to develop our strength. In fact, I've said this for years because this is really the teaching of the New Testament. The ability to endure trials is developed by enduring trials. That's the way that it works. And not only do we develop and deepen our strength, but also what happens is some of the impurities in our life are purged out through that process, and the deeper beauty of Jesus Christ can shine through. Trials are normal. Trials are for a time. Trials are varied, and trials are part of God's molding process. The key question that we need to wrestle with is how does He want me to respond when I'm facing trouble with a capital T. And remember, it's actually trouble with a capital G. Here's what he wants to see from me and you. Number one, he wants us to respond by rejoicing and giving thanks. And that's really expressing, I think, faith in his purpose and his plan. And, you know, you see this all the way through the New Testament. In James 1, he says, consider it all joy. In Romans 5, 3, exult, actually boast in your tribulations. Here in 1 Peter 1, greatly rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians 5, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so the first response he would really desire from us is that we would rejoice and give thanks, and that's just expressing faithfulness and faith in his purpose and plan. 
You know, when we had that fire back in 1986, I remember as we were experiencing that, that was one of the things that we said we needed to do. We needed to thank God for it. We needed to rejoice in it, even though we really didn't understand, and that's what we did. It wasn't until later that we realized a lot of the details of what happened. It was an exciting thing that no one was fatally injured. This fireman that, that uh, you know, came through here, right through the worship center area, he had an air tank on. And uh, when he flipped over and fell... The top of his air tank broke. The valve on it broke off. He fractured his back. He had 60 seconds, the chief told me later, to get out of the building before he was dead. And he ran, in God's providence, precisely in the right direction. And the chief said it was a miracle that he did not die. And then the other thing we didn't really realize is, remember I told you about how the concrete got superheated and it exploded. Do you know that there were six firemen standing right there when the floor blew up and concrete was hurtled in on every direction and none of those six firemen were, were hit? When we're faced with trouble, the first thing he wants as a response from us is to rejoice and give thanks. The second thing is he wants us to trust and rely on the living God. He God has a plan. Often we don't understand it, but His promise to you and to me is sufficient grace for whatever assorted place that we would find ourselves in. See, He is so sovereign that He personally designs these things and He carefully calibrates them in our life. And He wants us, He wants you, and He wants me to be strengthened and to be purified and to shape, be shaped into greater <coughs> Christ-likeness. One of my all-time favorite stories is the story of Andrew Murray in 1895. He was in England, and he was suffering from an incredibly painful back, the result of an injury that he had incurred years before. And one morning, while Andrew Murray was eating his breakfast in his room, his hostess told him of a woman downstairs who was in great trouble and wanted to know if Andrew Murray had any advice for her. And Andrew Murray handed her a paper that he'd been writing on, and he said, just give her this advice that I have been writing down for myself, and it may be that she'll find it helpful. And this is what he wrote. In time of trouble, say, first, he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this place, and in that I will rest. Next... He will keep me here in his love and give me grace in this trial to behave as his child. Then, say, he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. And last, say, in his good time he can bring me out again, how and when he knows. Therefore, say, I am here, one by God's appointment, two in his keeping, three under his training, and four for his time. That, men and women, is trouble with a capital G. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you again for the perspective from your word. We need it so much. We don't, we don't even want to pretend we understand all of these things. But we know that the trouble we experience is not an accident. And we just thank you, Father, 
that you are in control of life, even life that we cannot explain and we cannot control. And we thank you that no matter what we face in life, we will always have your unfailing love that will be there for us. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.